today, uh, in keeping with our series and Families God's Way, today we want to share with you practical steps for the Christian parent. Practical steps for the Christian parent. Now, we'll be using several texts of Scripture from the book of Proverbs. So if you want to open up to Proverbs and kind of follow along with us, that'd be fine. You open up to Proverbs, you'll see uh, what we're going to be, um, the text that we're going to be sharing from Proverbs. Now, on last Sunday, we shared with you the process for cultivating a gospel-centered home. A gospel-centered home is a home where Christ is the foundation and the gospel of Jesus defines the manner by which we relate to him and to each other. So a gospel-centered home. All that we do is because of his sacrifice on the cross and the presence of his grace toward us. It is this presence of divine grace that should motivate us to live with grace and mercy toward all, not only those with whom we live, but we should live with grace and mercy to all people. What a wonderful witness it would be if the people of God just made up their mind that tomorrow morning, wait a minute, better yet, this afternoon, we're going to live with mercy and grace for all people. No one would be able to say that the church is standoffish and hypocritical and all of those things and they're not living, practicing what they preach. Just make up your mind to live with mercy and grace for all people. I just threw that in for free, by the way. Amen. Amen. And, and, and as simple, now, now, as simple as that seems for me to say today, it is much more difficult, it seems, to apply in the context of our homes. The reality of the sinful nature of humanity makes the task of cultivating a gospel-centered home one that requires us to remove trust from ourselves and to place all of our trust in God. For example, fixing the dysfunction in your home does not begin with what you know about the Bible. It begins with how much you trust God. We've got a lot of people in here today that can quote a lot of scripture. And and you quote scripture and you do it in the home and it's especially time to quote whenever you get ready to tell your spouse how they ought to be behaving. Well, you know, the Bible says, (laughs) the Bible says, It, it doesn't begin there. It begins with how much You trust God. Amen? So dysfunction in the home is the result of our failure to daily subdue the old nature of sin in our lives. I mean, this is, this is really important because many of us are under the false impression that once we got saved, we didn't have to do anything to subdue our sin nature. 
See, Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, I beat down my body every day. Every day. Don't tell me there's not a day when your flesh doesn't try to rise up. I'm going to tell you that you're just not that holy yet. (laughs) Amen. There are days when we are tempted for our flesh to rise up and our sin nature to make a comeback. So we must beat it down every day. So dysfunction is about that beating down that sin nature far too often. Here's some reasons why dysfunction occurs in our home and in our lives. Number one, number one, we rely on ourselves more than we rely on God. We rely on ourselves more than we rely on God. It's almost as if we say, God, I got this. I I can handle it. I, I, I can manage this situation. So we rely on ourselves more than rely on God. Here's another reason why dysfunction is so prevalent is we've become comfortable with ourselves and our sin nature. Now, for many people, unfortunately, living with certain types of sin in our lives has become such a comfortable thing. We've been doing it so long that it seemed like it's right. Hmm? Oh, you don't have to say nothing today. I know it's going to be quiet in here today. I'm <laughs> we, 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 we've been doing this so long. You know, we, we just decided that we're just going to be one of those attitudinal people. And we've been, we had attitudes so long, it seemed like it's right. And when we're nice to people, we surprise ourselves. <laughs> I can't believe how nice I was. <laughs> So we get too comfortable. Here's another one. We walk in pride instead of humility. We walk in pride instead of humility. And I, and I, and I just let that kind of marinate for you. The Bible says in, in, in Proverbs 16 and 18, it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we'll get into that a little later. Here's the last, last one reason why, and you probably find many that, uh, uh, reasons why dysfunction uh, is just so prevalent. We desire to be accepted by the world. My goodness. What we wouldn't give, many of us, to have the world love us. We don't want to be upset, or we don't want to upset people around us. We don't want the world to have any particular means to to have criticism of us as Christians. So when we ought to speak up, we're quiet. Just the other day, I was, Monday, I was reading a, a, or or Tuesday in the newspaper article that was talking about the the Martin Luther King celebration we had here in the city of Gary at, at Westside High School. And, and one of the elected officials, I won't call the name, one of the elected officials got up and said, well, I want to tell you that there are some religious leaders out there that are using their beliefs in order to practice discrimination against homosexuals. Now, as a religious leader... I took a bit of umbrage with that. How in the world are you going to tell me that because I believe the word of God that somehow I'm practicing discrimination? I'm not discriminatory. I believe homosexuality is a sin. 
but so is lying. Homosexuality is a sin, but so is adultery. Fornication. When I get to yours, just say something. Stealing. Huh? So, so the, the, the scripture does not discriminate when it comes to sin. All of us, because of the sinful human nature, stand bare before a holy and a mighty God. The gospel is the great equalizer. And so, and so there may be other reasons why dysfunction comes. And, and, uh, but suffice it to say that there's far too much dysfunction amongst families in the community of Christ. Which then leads to dysfunction in the church. Um, some time ago I, I happened to be listening to a radio show on XM Radio on uh, on a, a Sunday evening, and and I decided I was going to call in, and and uh, and you know when you call into a radio show, you have to have what you what you're going to say together, you know. So I called in, and and the host was I was talking about the issue of guns in 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 uh, urban communities and this idea like I get all the guns out of the community, and and I said you know and the host was talking about well well these kids are all in gangs and all this kind of stuff. I said you all have the wrong priority. Amen. The priority here is not what you know why uh, 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 kids being in gangs. The question becomes why are they in gangs? And dysfunctional families lead to the gang problem in urban America. So he, he, he then kind of shifted gears. He said, I want you to stay over for the next segment, and, and I'm going to hold you over. I got a question I want to ask you, because he knew I was a pastor. And he said, he said well, well, what about, what about the fact that in the urban community, uh, there's, there are no men in the church? Every man in here stand up right now. Y'all look around. Look around. Where, where's, this, where's this no men thing coming from? <laughs> so, so fundamentally, fundamentally, the word on the street, brothers, is that you all are not here. And I told him, I said, well, I don't know what church you've been to. But there are men in the church and there are men who are taking their rightful place. And so, so we, still have, we still have some dysfunction. And, and today we want to drill deeper into the home of believers. We want to address a particular part of that garden we call the family. Marriage is one plot in the garden, but today I want to share with you some practical steps about parenting children. Now, for those of you who are single, I want you to take some good notes today so that you can be ready if the Lord so chooses to bless you with marriage and family. Uh, to those of you who are single parents who may hear this today, I suggest you work your notepad as well. You have a difficult but by no means impossible task. You can produce children that know and trust the Lord. So this is for you as well. 
Finally, for those homes that reflect both a mom and a dad or couples who are, who are yet to have a child, both the mother and the father have great responsibility to apply these practical tips to your parenting dynamic. Now, we will, glean, we will glean most of our practical aid for parents from the book of Proverbs. Let me tell you a little bit about Proverbs. Proverbs is a letter written by Solomon to his son in order to pass down the wisdom of God to the next generation. Now, if we pause to think about why many of our children grow up unprepared for life It is found in this simple dynamic. We are often too busy to share the word of God with our children. Now I'm going to let that marinate for just a second. We find so many other things to do. We're so worried about whether we can save enough money to take these babies to Disney World. We're so worried about whether or not we can purchase clothes that will send them to school just as cute and pretty as they want to be. We'll go and work extra hours so that we can take a kid and put them in the latest Jordan shoes, Nikes, Adidas, whatever the case may be. We'll do all of that. And then when they get to be older... And they start talking back to you. You'll come running to me. (laughs) Pastor, what should I do? Well, I want to help you avoid that situation. You thought that buying them everything they wanted. Some of our children's closet looked like a video game graveyard. That's where the Sega went to, the Nintendo, and all of the old games. Now you have a PlayStation 4 and Xbox 360 and all those things. And we've given our children all of these things. And the one thing they need the most, the word of God, we didn't give them. So (laughs) Christian parents produce children, believe it or not, who disdain faith. And the church. What did your child say when you say get up in the morning, it's time to go to church? Oh, mom. Come on. We went last Sunday. And so what they do, they're slowing around. Now, if you tell them that you have two tickets to a Bulls game, you tell these boys that they're going to get up with a quickness. Isn't that right, Rachel? Isn't that right? Your boys would move fast, wouldn't they? That's right. They love basketball, so they're going to get up with a quickness. When you say go to church, oh, okay. And part of this dynamic is because we have shown them the very thing that they're doing. Oh, don't look at me like you've never said. Sunday morning, the alarm goes off, and first thing out of your mouth, I don't know if I'm going to church today. And you start thinking of reasons not to go. I have a headache. My big toe is sore. I didn't get my hair done. 
I don't have a clean shirt. I'm just saying. So, so we create children like that. So I want to take you to the book of Proverbs and, and look at how Solomon shares some wisdom for parents. And here's some things that Solomon kind of saying through the book. I've got five tips for you today. Here's the first one. Teach your children to fear the Lord. Now watch this. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I told you last week that everything begins with right theology. Teach your children to reverence God as soon as possible. As, that's, that's why in the, even in the nursery, in church, we ought to make sure that children hear the word of the Lord. Our teachers have to say things like, let's thank Jesus. An 18-month-old will imitate you. And if you raise your hands to the Lord, guess what? They will too. If you bow your head in prayer, guess what? So will they. They will do the same. And so we got to teach your children. To reverence God. And as soon as possible. Why? Because when they learn to form good theology and worship in their lives. When they are young. They will maintain these habits throughout life. They'll continue to worship God. They'll continue to seek after him. They'll continue to want to know him. But if they're young. And you show them how to learn about the real housewives of Atlanta. If you're watching all the reality TV and you show them how the Kardashians are living, then that's what they'll seek after. And they'll believe that's real life. And so teach them to love, to, to fear the Lord. To fear God is to reverence him. Our children must be taught to hold God in the highest esteem in their lives. Now, this must be demonstrated in not just words, but also in deeds. Now, what does that mean? It means that they're watching you. They're watching how you worship. If parents are worshiping at church, but at home there is no worship, your children take note of that. Oh, don't get mad at me yet. Watch this now. Proverbs 14 and 27 says this, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Look at that. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Last year, in Chicago, 500 people killed by murder. 2,700 people, 2,800 people shot in the city of Chicago. 
Last year, murder rate in Gary increased by one in 2015. Already this year, we've had people killed in this city, and the month is not, it's just a little over half, halfway. Look at the culture of death that has developed in urban America. Not just in urban America, but they're killing people in the suburbs now. Just yes, or Saturday, yes, Saturday morning, I believe it was, a young man was killed in the Hyatt, I think it was the Hyatt Hotel, or Hyatt Hotel on Martin Luther King Drive in Chicago. Now, my wife and I have stayed at the Hyatt. Hyatt's a pretty nice place. And we're not talking about the Fleabag Hotel here. You know, this isn't a no-tail motel. This is, this, this, is, this is the Hyatt And in the lobby, a fight breaks out, and a young man is shot to death. His mother has to see his body through a glass window because she can't get in because it's a crime scene. Think about what this word says. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Imagine going down to Millennium Park and seeing the fountain and the water just coming up, coming up. That's what the fear of God does. It just gives you life, more life and more life and more life as you reverence God. And the reason is that one may turn away from the snares of death. Death has set traps for our children. Death has set traps for our family. And until we learn to teach them how to reverence God, they will fall into those traps of death. So here's the thing. If you want to raise a fool or someone who is ignorant of how to live and respect life, then raise them in such a way that they do not reverence God. If you want to raise a fool because you're still mad at your mama because she made you go to church, tell your children they don't have to come to church because your mama made you go every Sunday and you made up your mind you're not going to force your child to come to church. That's the craziest you hear from people who call themselves Christians. I'm not going to make my baby come to church. Well, you make them comb their hair. Maybe not so much anymore. I know I... But you make them wash their face, and sometimes they'll sneak out of the house without clean clothes on, but you get upset with that. And you make them do all those things, but you won't make them come to the Lord? You won't make them come to church? Keep doing that if you want to raise a fool. Second thing, second tip for you as a parent. Teach your children to avoid the fear of man. Proverbs 29 and 25 says this. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. The Bible has a term for what we now call peer pressure. The Bible's term is fear of man. This does not only mean that you're afraid of a playground bully or a nasty neighbor. It means that you fear the opinion of another and that fear 
controls you. It's important to note that nearly everywhere you find fear of man in the Bible, you will also find fear of God or trust in God. Right alongside it. See, some of us are controlled by people's opinion of us. What people think about us is more important to us than what God thinks about us. Now, that's, that's, that's a shame to say that. But we, we got other folks' opinions that are driving our lives. Now, when you see these two fears, fear of God and fear of man, uh, notice that they are in conflict with one another and they cannot reside peacefully together. Look at, look at what he says. He says. He says here that the fear of man lays a snare. Look at the contrast. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe think about that yeah that's a praiseworthy moment because maybe you've been spending your life and you're an adult now worried about what people are going to think and you find yourself that you're not any safer than you thought you were going to be if you went about your life trying to please people there is only safety in the fear of of the Lord. Whoever trusts in him is safe. So, so as, we, as we think about that, teach them, teach them to avoid fearing man. And they'll avoid peer pressure. Now, now, here's the thing. Third thing. Teach your children to receive instruction, wisdom, and constructive criticism from other people. Oh, <laughs> I had to really pray on this sermon today, I'm telling you, because I know there's some conviction that's falling in the house right now. Some of us newfangled parents believe that we're the only somebody that should ever be talking to our children. Well, let's go to the word. Proverbs 12 and 15 says this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Oh, help me hear somebody. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to to advice. We've raised now maybe two or three generations of you ain't my mama or daddy kids. Boy, if I had some teachers in here that could just stand up and tell the truth. Huh? First thing, what do they say? First thing, you ain't my mama. You ain't my dad. They can't even do it in right English. They can't even say, you are not my mother or father. You ain't my mama. And where do you think they get that from? They get that from parents who are telling them, don't you let anybody just talk to you any kind of way. And they don't respect authority. Oh, y'all going to be mad with me now? 
But America's youth problem is not just that we have some bad police, because we do. But our real problem that's bigger than that, I think, is we've got kids that don't respect any authority. If you're not respecting your mother at home, you're not going to respect a man with a badge and a gun. Now think about that. If you don't respect the person that gave you life, you're not going to have respect for the person that can take your life. No respect for authority. I'm 53 years old, they tell me. <laughs> That's what they said. It was, was on my birth certificate. But even today, when I encounter law enforcement, because my father was very clear, you respect authority. And he would say things like, if I have to come to the school, you're going to wish I didn't. He would say things like, if I have to come get you out of jail, you're going to beg them to stay. And so when I encountered law enforcement, it was, yes, officer, no officer. Because you learn when you're taught at home how to respect authority. But see, the way of the fool is right in his own eye. Yeah, you keep raising kids that's riding down the street giving the finger to the police. Walking around with t-shirts with nasty messages about police and and authority. The fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. So we've raised this generation of you ain't my mama, you ain't my daddy kind of children. Now, Proverbs 15 and 32 says this. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. If your child fears the Lord, they will recognize wise counsel. Now let me help you understand what that means. Yes, you have a right as a parent and a responsibility to be concerned for where your children are getting their information. But if you've done your due diligence and you've raised them to fear or reverence God above everything else, they will recognize foolish talk. But they will not if it's foolish talk going on in the home. They'll think the foolish talk they hear in the street is normal. This is the kind of craziness I hear at home. So this must be what's right. Oh, you don't have to say nothing. Teach your children to be able to accept constructive criticism and wise advice. Don't come confronting the teacher. Because your baby came home and said, the teacher gave me a piece of rope for a belt. 
because my pants was hanging down off my behind. Don't be mad at the teacher. Nobody wants to see your underwear. That's why they call it underwear. It's under something else. I'm in trouble now. You got grown people walking down the street. I saw a guy one time, I'm not kidding. And this, I know he's a grown man because he had all full beard, all this kind of stuff. He, he was probably in his 20s or 30s. He's walking down the street, and his belt was right here. And he's walking like this. <laughs> and I said to myself, Lord, please don't let a dog start chasing him. Because he ain't going to make it. <laughs> you can't hardly walk like that. I know you can't run. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're in trouble here. All right. Here's the fourth thing. Here's the fourth thing. We're going to hurry up and get done here. Here's the fourth thing. Teach them how to respond in adversity and hardship. Proverbs 18 and 10 says this the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous man runs into it don't miss that word into he doesn't just say the righteous man runs to the name of the Lord but you run into the name of the see that that means it's shelter The name of the Lord is shelter and a righteous man runs into it and he is safe. Hardship and adversity are very much a part of living. It's how we respond that makes the difference. Is anybody here that ever had hardship? Is there any adult here that ever had a trial, a problem, some tribulation? If you've had that, You understand what I'm saying. It's not whether you will have hardship. It's how you respond that makes the difference. That means, parents, you must teach your children how to handle adversity with intentionality. Now watch this. How many people in here believe that your heavenly father has all power and can do anything he wants? All right, good. I'm in the right place. How many people in here have prayed for something and God has said no? Amen. Amen. You know what God is doing as a father? He's saying, I could give you this but because I'm in a different place than you are and I know you better than you know yourself I know if I give you this it's going to mean a problem between me and you so you drive that that hoopty a little while longer I'm just saying (laughs) you see you you get new car blues you don't want to come to church you get a new car 
Got to keep that car clean. The car wash open on Sunday. <laughs> but you have to be intentional in teaching your children how to handle adversity. When you could say yes, you have to say no. My son is in college, and he had a kind of an adjusting first semester. And I was, there's a certain stipend of money that I was sending him every two weeks and all this kind of stuff. And I started looking at some of the stuff he was buying, and, and I said, wait a minute now. You know, you had, you had George's Cafe at 11.30 at night, and you on the meal plan. What you doing hungry and they providing three square meals? I, I think that's a legitimate question. I'm not eating in the cafeteria. Oh. So you up at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, have, out with your friends at the 24-hour cafe, just sitting there having a good time. What about that 9 o'clock class you have? Are you making that class? See? See? Y'all tell me these babies don't have good sense. They, they know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so what happened? His stipend gets diminished. Some hardship has to come in his life with intentionality. I want you to know that some days you're going to have to eat whatever they have in the cafeteria. Because I'm going to take away your ability to buy what you want. I want McDonald's to miss you. Where you been? Look, look, look at what Solomon says we should do when we're in trouble. He says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. A strong tower. A place of refuge for us. Teach your children that they can always come to the Father in heaven. As a place of refuge. And they'll be safe. Number five, last thing here. Teach your children to guard their heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the spring of life. Now, the word keep in the Hebrew is a word called saw, And it means to watch over, to guard, and keep. And this is the responsibility we all have regarding what we let into our lives. Oh, I'm coming down your street right now. How many of us wish today that we would have done a better job of guarding our hearts? Think about all the foolishness you let in your life. Think about some of the people that you let get close to your heart. Oh, look at you now. Come on back. Thank God for grace. <laughs> Thank God for grace. Look at this. We, we have many in here that wish we wouldn't have let some people or some things into our lives. And so if you know that as an adult, 
when it comes to your children, teach them to watch over their own heart. Because once sin gets into the heart, it's hard to shake it loose. Now, this, this word natar is a military term. It means the same as posting a guard or a sentry to watch over something. Some of us have seen, you know, these, these uh, war movies and they have somebody who's guarding the barracks and you're on guard duty. Some of you have been in the military. You know what guard duty is like. You know, you don't want to get up in the middle of the night and the person on guard duty is sleeping. That's, <laughs> that's why the psalmist says, thanks be to God. The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. But, you, but, you, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's who's on guard duty here. What is the best guard for your heart? Now, let me tell you something. Because you've already admitted that you messed up, you are not the best guard. Your feelings get involved. Huh? Your, your crushes get involved. You've let some people in your life just because they look good. Smell good, dress well. When I get to yours, just say something. The hair looked nice. They had a nice car, lived in a nice house, had a good job, and you let them in your life. Never once did you say, where are they with the Lord? So you're not the best guard. So who is? Here's, here's, what, here's what the psalmist says. He says in Psalms 119 and 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. I've stored up your word. Now watch this. I'm going to tell you about this storing up. How many people have a pantry at home? People have a pantry? Good. When Costco has bulk sales, do you buy more stuff than you need? Because it's on sale. I told you before, I think I told you a story before, my uncle has a, uh, you know, he's 67, 68 years old, and he, he said they had Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce on sale. I went to his pantry, he had 12 bottles. Man, you may not use that much barbecue sauce the rest of your life. <laughs> but 12 bottles, why? Because it's on sale. You store it up. My father used to get upset with me because I'd come to his house as a young man and, and he was buying in bulk. I'd get some toilet paper, paper towel, all that. I'm shopping at home, you know. <laughs> You're storing up. Some of us go to Costco, we can't help it. We come out there with a whole pallet <laughs> of paper towel and toilet paper. You can't even get it in the car. <laughs> You're storing up. But look at what happens when it comes to the word of God. Somebody asks you, turn to the book of Amos. Where is that? <laughs> if I say it right now, everybody open your Bibles to the book of Abraham. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Some of y'all be looking. Where's Abraham? I know it's in here somewhere. Is it in your, maybe he got another version. I, is it in your Bible? I, There is no book of Abraham. 
Some of y'all look like now, for real? <laughs> Had no idea. <laughs> Thanks for that tidbit, Pastor. So, so look, when it comes to the word, you have to store God's word in your heart. That means you need to be in the word every day. My body needs carbohydrates and calories to live. And you can look at me and tell that I get my share. I get more carbohydrates and calories than I need. I don't know how many calories in the apple dumpling, but I, don't, I love them. I, don't, you know. I didn't ask the waitress, how, you know, how many thousands of calories in this thing. But see, we, we store up to live. And you need to have the same attitude about the word of God. What devotion to God's word is going on in your house? Are you reading? He says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Parents, if you want your children to walk in righteousness, Spend time in the word with them. Don't spend time just telling them and yelling at them and what they should do and how they, how they, don't let them see just your frustration. But let them see you as a teacher of God's word. Let them see you as someone who references the word of God. Let them see you as someone who worships God in your home. And you will cultivate and be able to parent children that will live for the Lord. Amen. Let's give God some praise today.